This is an encore presentation of Big Talk. Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here with my in-studio guest, the restoration architect, Cynthia Brubaker. Cindy, thanks for coming on the show. It's my pleasure, Mike. I'm happy to be here. Cindy, what does a restoration architect do? I do a lot of different things. I work with architects and I design, I do some design work, I do drawing and drafting, I go look at buildings to evaluate them and see what they need to have fixed about them. Do they have crumbling brick and stone and deteriorating wood and that sort of thing? We work with clients who want to restore their historic building, rehabilitate their historic building, and also other projects that have nothing to do with historic preservation, newer buildings, additions, and so forth. But I, I'm very much about any kind of existing building and working with that, be it technically historic or not. I really enjoy working with existing buildings and looking at them and figuring out what it is that they want to be that they need as a building. Now we pretty much all agree that we want to uh, preserve and save a lot of buildings from the past. Well, not everybody agrees with that, Mike, well, but everybody. it's Well, that will We're get getting better. That. But let me ask you this question before that one. If someone comes to you and says, "Look at my building. What can you do for it?" Conceivably, could you say, "This thing's about to fall down. Forget it." Oh, yeah. That's, that has definitely happened. And, for example, if you have a structure that is out in the woods and completely built out of wood and has not been maintained over the year, maintenance is a key word, mm -hmm. whether it's a new building or an old building. And water is another key word. So if a structure has not been protected from the weather and for water over years, no roof repairs, water coming in through, holes in the roof, etc. It can most definitely get to the point where it would need to have everything replaced, in mm -hmm. which case, unless it really is um, a very important structure that has something to do with our history as human beings, we're not likely to want to keep it or try to fix it. As you say, many of us want to see historic structures, parts of our past, preserved. Well, who wouldn't? Well, let me just give you an example mm -hmm. of who wouldn't. So several years back in our history, folks wanted to tear down the Monroe County Courthouse. Yes. And luckily, for I think most people today would agree, that didn't happen. And instead, we have a direction where all sorts of buildings are now being considered worthy of keeping and reusing and repurposing for things that we all like. For example, lots of industrial buildings that are here on the west side of Bloomington are now, it's almost now trendy to want to be, uh, have a business or an art studio or what have you in an industrial building. And 20 years ago, this was not considered a worthy effort. Did you have anything to do with the restoration of the courthouse? 
I did not. That predates my time in Bloomington. That was accomplished uh, in the in the early 1980s. All right, then. In that case, where did you come from? I was born in Indiana. Mm -hmm. I am a Hoosier by birth. However, I grew up in the East, Maryland, Pennsylvania, came back to Indiana for college. Indiana University? No. Goshen College in northern Indiana. As an undergrad, what did you study? Art. I, w I was interested in architecture, but they, they did not have that major at my school. I thought I would study that in graduate school. Went to New York because I had a friend who said, we got a house we can rent. You want to come? I said, sounds good to me. Let's go. Went for a job at Columbia University mm -hmm. where they had an architectural history graduate program, and I picked up their, their catalog and page after page after page of architectural history classes, I thought I'd found heaven. Wow. And I thought, okay, I'll just take these classes forever and maybe I'll teach architecture students architectural history. And then, and remember, this is quite a while ago, Mike, so this is back when the term historic preservation was not in common parlance wow. at all. And I was walking down a hallway one day at Columbia and saw a poster that was a line drawing of the Helen Hayes Theater in New York, which had been demolished. And it was an advertisement for Columbia's graduate program in historic preservation. And I looked at that poster and I said, that's for me. So it was in the architecture program. It was the first program in the country, uh, the oldest program, and it was an excellent, far-ranging, uh, jack-of-all-trades kind of program where you learn drafting and architecture, you learned architectural history, you learned conservation of materials, you learned planning, all of those sorts of things to come together to be this person who could work with old buildings and know what to do with them. So are you, at this time now, a licensed architect? I am not a licensed architect. Uh -huh. In the state of Indiana, it is not possible for me. Many other states in this country, I could sit for the exams and be licensed because I have a degree that is related to architecture and I have worked under licensed architects for over 10 years. And I have the experience as an apprentice architect would have. But I, I cannot be licensed. What is the difference between an architect and an engineer? And pardon me for not knowing that already, but if I don't know it, it may as well go to someone who does. Know. All right, sure thing. So the different degrees, mm -hmm. different routes to licensing, and engineers will specialize in either structure or mechanical, electrical, lighting, so all of the things that have to do with the more technical aspects of building. They also go to Purdue uh -huh. rather than... What comes first, the drawing off the architect's table or the information and specifications from the engineer's table? Generally the architect because you want the design intent and then you go to the, the engineer excuse me, to fill out the details and understand. And sometimes there's a little back and forth, especially mm -hmm. with structural, especially if you're talking about new construction. Yeah. Now, with an existing building, you may have some question that needs to be answered about the structure before you can proceed, as in, is it worth 
saving because there's some major problem or something of that sort. Do you remember your first restoration project? Ooh, I don't know no that I can specifically say that. I've worked at different aspects of projects in different types of jobs. So for example, I can remember a lot of projects in graduate school. Going to school in New York, there were a lot of great neighborhoods and places uh, to be to be studying this field and to be looking at buildings. And then I worked for the state of Indiana when I first moved here, back to Indiana, that is, to Bloomington. Mm -hmm. And then I worked for an architectural firm here in Bloomington. And one of the first things I did was on the north side of the courthouse square, where now there is Pictora Gallery. Yes. At the time, historically, older folks uh, from town may remember it as Alden's Department Store. Mm -hmm. And the folks who owned the building were interested in doing something with it, came to Portfolio Design, which is the architectural firm I worked in at the time with John Shell, and we talked to them about their options, and I suggested that we do it as a historic rehab. They could get some tax incentives in exchange for that, and I kind of convinced everybody to move ahead with that. We ended up with our offices on the third floor of that building for a time with a great view south down Walnut Street and out towards uh, the far distance. So it, that's definitely one of the first ones mm -hmm. that I was involved in all aspects of the project, from conception, discussing it with the owners, doing all the design work and the construction documents, and being involved in the construction and rehab and with the contractors. Now, would, would you have said, or do you say today when you have a project, you say, at the end of the day, this is how much it's going to cost you. Are you able to say that? People always want to know what it's going to cost and how long it's going to take. Right. So we always are doing estimates, and we are usually coming up with ranges of cost, and we try very hard to stay on top of that. And we look at past projects to help give that cost because we don't want it to be a surprise. We want to be forthright uh, and direct with people about that. I will say that in almost all cases I'm able to bust the myth that it costs more to do a preservation or rehab project because what people do not take into account when they make a comparison is if you have an existing building and you want to tear it down and build a new one and you're comparing those two options, you have to think about the total cost, tearing it down, putting it in the landfill, as well as the new construction. Same you mean thing if you don't take that into consideration. Usually not. Usually people don't even get that far. Huh. They, there is just a kind of a myth that it's going to cost more because huh. it's old, well, and that's you don't what know, I and you don't know what you're going to get into. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is. In any constru construction project, you don't know what you're going to get into. Right. You could have weather, you could have labor strikes, you could have any number of things happen. So it's all a challenging field that you work through, that you have a good team of designers and builders to 
have a good project, whether it's rehab or new construction. I work as a private uh, independent contractor. And for the last uh, little over a year or so, I've been working with an architectural firm called Springpoint Architects. And they are located in a historic building that I worked on 20 years ago, which is known historically as the Frosted Foods Building. But people will know it as currently, well, it's located at 3rd and Rogers. Mm -hmm. And the first business in there was Grant Street after we rehabbed it 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then Tuto Bene was in it. And there was a school in there for a while. And now it's various offices. Great architectural firm, three architects I've known for quite a while, and I, as I say, I work with them on a contract basis. And most of the work that I do is with them. The other big project that I have that is primarily me is the Eiffel Building. Uh-huh. And I, I am was about to ask about Okay. That. And that business is Eiffel LLC. I'm the proprietor of that and preservation developer of that project. Do you mean to say that you own that building? I wish I did, Mike. Uh-huh. But I always say, if I can't own it, at least I can say that it is still owned by the Fell family. It is now with the great-grandson of the man who built it, Isaac Fell. The I. Fell building originally was an auto dealership, I understand. It was built for an Auburn Core Duesenberg auto dealership in 1930. However, if we remember our history, this was not a good time for an auto dealership that makes custom expensive automobiles, and they never did sell a new car. No kidding. They, I'm not kidding. So they were very resourceful people. They had used cars. They had various businesses that related to cars, metalwork, glass shop. And then there were uh, beauty shops, barber shops at various locations in the building. Mm -hmm. And they scrapped out cars and had their first metal scrap yard to the south of the building. And later the family purchased a place up Rogers Street and had the Fell Ironworks, which is now Bloomington Iron and Metal. So that site was the second location for the Fell Metalworks business, which started at the Fell building. So why did this Fell family want to keep this building? Well, I'm told, actually, that they didn't. They had, uh, Isaac uh, had given up and went to the bank to turn over the mortgage and say, I can't do it. And the bank said, well, we, we can't do anything with it, so you just keep it and keep going. Right. And that's when they, like many people during the Depression, became resourceful and did the scrapping the cars and other kinds of, uh, eventually, Isaac's son uh, went on to run many businesses in the building and had used uh, furniture and clothing and all sorts of things like that. His daughter, Eleanor Fell, who folks in town will know as a famous harpist, who went on to play in New York and Paris and Africa and all sorts of places, tells stories about her experiences working with with her dad over the years. Then it came time to hire you to oversee the restoration. Why did they want to keep it then? Well, what happened was 
I was helping an individual find a building for a clay studio. We were looking at another building, and that owner said to me, I have this other building that you might be interested in. And these folks want to rent it, but they might want to sell it. And he described the building to me, and it was all I could do, Mike, to not jump right out of my seat because Mm -hmm. I live right up the street from this building, and I had walked past it every day for years, and it was occupied by a warehouse, a beauty supply warehouse. So it was not open to the public. And I could tell from the outside it was a great building. It had a lot of potential. In fact, I had talked to the Fells, Eleanor and her brother, on two other occasions about restoring the building, and it didn't go for one reason and another. Now here there was a potential chance. So I got a lease on the building, a five-year lease with two options for renewal. So a long-term lease, not ownership, and entered into an agreement with the owners to have this lease, do work on the building, and then I, in turn, re-sublet to the artists who have studios in the building and Rainbow Bakery, who's also in the building. Who financed the work? You're looking at her, Mike. So you became a developer. Well, yeah, exactly. So my business partner at the time and I did, and my business partner did a lot of the work and a few other folks ourselves. And then um, his credit card and my checkbook, you know, we worked it out um, buying materials. And we really didn't have to do a lot to the building inside that was very, very expensive because folks were handy who were involved. We also had two grants from the city from their historic facade grant program Uh to do work on the outside. So the storefront windows on Rogers Street were completely rebuilt to match what we found in historic photographs. They had been altered. And then also on the 4th Street side, a lot of repairing of damaged wood, painting of wood windows. And again, I knew from seeing this building, walking by it all those years, it's brick walls, concrete floors, metal truss structural system. It's a good, sound building. So it didn't need a lot of heavy-duty work to it. It needed a lot of dressing up, fixing windows, and some other things inside. So it was a manageable project for those of us who got involved. Well, when you look at the building and really look at it with your professional eye and that building specifically, are you able to say uh, to any degree of confidence this building can still be standing in X number of years? Well, it will at least stand as long as it is. it has so far, which is, I'm not good at math in my head, but 1930 would be 70, 86, right. So another yeah. 80, 90 years easily. It just, the... The landlord put a new roof on it. That was key. As you remember earlier, I said, keeping water out, very key. And before that new roof came on, we could have been collecting and selling water (laughs) by the uh, growlerful or whatever. Uh, But now we're we're good and tight. So it's it's got a future. It definitely, yes, future, absolutely. And, And when the client comes to you, does the client say, 
will this thing be standing in 50 years? Can you make it stand in 50 years or 100 years? Yes, that's, that's often an early analysis. And generally speaking, I and architects can tell by looking that. But sometimes you want to say, okay, if we really want to be sure, if we see something that's iffy, we'll say we really need a structural engineer because there begins to be a question of liability. You don't want to get in the way of that. But with the Fell building, what happens is there, rather than clients, we have art shows that happen every month. First Friday of the month, we have a, an opening, just as others in town do. And people express that they like the place, and what they are drawn to is what they're seeing in terms of that sound building that will stand there for another 50, 80, 100 years because of that solid concrete brick steel. And my vision for the building from day one was to let all that be exposed and be the theme, the industrial theme, the industrial feel of that building. And people respond to that positively when they come in and see the building, even if they're not sure or completely don't understand what it is they're responding to. There's another building of historic nature that I understand you might have had a hand in, and the a, a Coca-Cola bottling company? That, is that right? That is correct. The Coca-Cola bottling company plant is on South Washington Street, and that project happened when I was working with Middleway House, on a grant to evaluate a housing co-op, which was an idea that the executive director, Toby Strout, had as a way to house former clients. Mm -hmm. And during that time, we were approached about buying that property from the former nonprofit because with the nonprofit buying it, there were certain positive things that would, would happen. Yeah. So I was involved from the beginning of that real estate transaction all the way through helping to raise the money, although I was not a fundraiser. Yeah. I worked on grant writing, especially grants that related to the building and the different architectural aspects. And the hiring of an architect and the hiring of a contractor and that whole process to restore the Coca-Cola building and build a new building next to it and connect them in a way that worked for the program needs of Middleway House, which is a multifunctional complex now. It's their headquarters, it's their emergency shelter, it's their, well, it, it, was, it was location for food works, child care, and then permanent supportive housing for women who needed one-bedroom units which in this town, there are very few affordable one-bedroom housing units. Now, what was so special about this structure that made you and the Middleway House people say, this is a good place to be in? Well, other than the beautiful two-tone green terrazzo floor. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and that is still there? It is still there, yes. And now, that gets beaten up, doesn't it? Well, it got beat up with the Coca-Cola. Yeah. In the line where the Coke would spill over 
that is where the terrazzo was most pitted out from the the Coca-Cola, the, the Coca-Cola itself, yeah. yeah. You know that old put your tooth in a bottle of Coke <laughs> when you, uh, and it, it's gone in three days? Yikes. Well, that's what it does to, to uh, concrete as well. Wow. So we had that repaired, and that was really fun. Santa Rosa is a company out of Indianapolis, but Dave Santa Rosa is here in Bloomington, and he helped us out with some of, um, a couple of things there. But to watch an entire wheelbarrow of green concrete be mixed up with the little little chips of rock that go in terrazzo. It, it was really a fascinating day to watch the terrazzo repairs. So the, the terrazzo floor is now part original and part rebuilt. Repair. repair. Very, a very small area, maybe three, four squares were rebuilt. Correct. So how long did that project take? Oh dear, years. Mostly because of the difficulty in putting all the funding together yeah. and it being a nonprofit. I used to do a lot of work in the old Printer's Row neighborhood in Chicago. Yes. That is a, a huge neighborhood of tall buildings. Lots tall of cast iron. buildings, yes, that have been uh, restored. And one of the reasons uh, why they were kept is because they were they would have been almost impossible to tear down because they were built to hold these huge rolls of paper. Enormous weight. Enormous weight. And you should see those big support beams. But now it's, uh, it's uh, been for, well, I would say going on about 35 years, one of the hottest neighborhoods in the city. Yes, it is very desirable. Cute little restaurants yeah. and coffee shops and bars. Printer's yeah. Row. Printer's Row. Well, I feel that on a much smaller scale, of course, that's sort of what's happening where the Fell Building is uh -huh. and the Frosted Foods Building where the architectural office is and the building across the street, which was historically a grocery store, but most recently had been the Auxiliary Sheriff's Department, uh -huh. and it's undergoing some renovation. And there's another building across the street, which years ago was the driver's uh, bureau. BMV. Help me out. Yes, yeah. BMV. And now has various shops. It's, we've got this happening little corner going. Uh-huh. And, and the Eiffel was the seed. And the felt, well, there was a place across the street from us called Thrive. Uh -huh. that Jessica Mott had going. It was uh, various massage uh, therapists there. And she would do the arts on the first Friday. And she, she had some things going there that were really, really good, really nice. And Carolyn, right across the street, had a little coffee shop for a while. Mm -hmm. There were a few things there, but it's really hard unless you have a critical mass of buildings and business and things happening to, to kick things off. Right. So they were our pioneers there on West 4th Street. And then the Fell Building, a little bit larger, the Rainbow Bakery coming in, which is wildly popular. And there's a synergy going. Cindy Brubaker. Yes. Thanks so much for joining us on Big Talk. You're welcome.